Hey, everybody, Melissa McKenzie, publisher of The American Spectator, along with Scott McKay, contributing editor of The American Spectator and founder and chief poobah of Reviver.com and also the Hayride.com and also uh, the recent uh, author, again, uh, repeat author uh, of Racism Something and Ruin. I'm racism, revenge, and revenge. ruin. It's all I about. I got the revenge, all ours. Well, believe me, when you when you get to repeat it as often as I do in the publicity mm -hmm. tour, which is has begun in earnest. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I've got it all memorized. Racism, fact, revenge, I've, and I've got a, I've even got like a talking point sheet that I'm gonna I'm not gonna look at while we're doing this podcast. Okay, everybody, go out and buy his book. It's, it's it is available pre-order on Amazon and, and November 21st is the official publication date. So you can get a copy in your hot little hand next week. Um, but uh, oh, and for all now. of your relatives who you need to get a Christmas gift and the ones who say that uh, Obama had the most, um, you know, scandal free uh, presidency in history, right. get this book for them. Yeah, they're, they're the it. ones that really need to read it because they know. They're, they're like Jon Snow. They know nothing. They know nothing. Yes. Okay. So getting into it, after everybody uh, goes out and buy the book, buy the book, um, let's talk about uh, Marvel. And yeah, you want to go see a movie? Do you want to not go see a movie? Because I do not want to see on. this movie. I am sick to death of these movies. And, you know, when we were talking about talking about this subject, which is that Kathleen Kennedy, uh, has absolutely killed the Marvel brand and um, and the Star Wars brand and the Star Wars brand and made everything woke the uh, um, you know and everybody's making fun of it now and she still has a job for reasons that are unfathomable but but to you know the how why the board of Disney hasn't gotten rid of this woman I don't know why the shareholders haven't gotten rid of her, I don't know, but she still has a job and she's literally killing. So this thing cost, you said, 275 million to make. And that is like a quarter of a billion dollars, again, sunk into oblivion. Yeah, I mean, the, how long the, can the this go weekend, on? first weekend it did $6.7 million. And you know, the first weekend's the best weekend. The so like- The Chosen's done better than that. Just an just an episode of The Chosen has done better. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Um, so like this thing, uh, this is one of the most uh, thorough and complete disasters in motion picture history in terms of box office. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, at this point, I, and, and I agree with everything you said, like why hasn't the management gotten rid of Kathleen Kennedy. How come the board hasn't gotten rid of Kathleen Kennedy? How come the stockholders haven't gotten rid of Kathleen Kennedy? Those questions are, you're correct in asking all of them, but they're too small. The real question is, why hasn't Disney been taken over in a hostile takeover? Because if you can't, I mean, they've lost more than a billion dollars on the movies they've put out in the last, what, 36 months? Okay, and like you're supposed why to make. Why they bring Bob Iger back when he's the cause of these problems too? Well, I mean, but because they don't have any answers. That's the whole point. The place yeah. needs new ownership altogether. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I, I mean, I'm glad I don't have Disney Disney stock. But at this point, what you're really looking at is somebody has to come in with an entirely new management team, and they have got to fire 
everybody at Disney and start over from scratch. And meanwhile, well, I don't like- know if that's true. Can I just make a proposal here? Because John Favreau has presided over successful shows. He did the Mandalorian. He yeah. did all the Iron Man series. And the thing is, is with him is that he knows all the Star Wars lore, like he's deep into it. So the properties that he has touched have done well. And yeah. I remember watching this round table with Kathleen Kennedy was sitting there and John Favreau was doing everything in his actorly physical power not to roll his eyes at whenever she talked. And it was like a behind the scenes for the Mandalorian thing. And he, with that property, he had hired and brought along like four or five different uh, directors and they, and then supervised them and him and Filoni did, you know, supervision over these new directors, helping them. And it was really great. Like he brought them along and, and everything. I think that you put a guy like that who has deep understanding of that side, you bring the princess stuff back and, and you stop with all of these other people. I think it's time for someone who actually loves these properties, be in charge of these properties instead of trying to make them something they're not. Yeah. But here's the thing you with practically the entire top management of Disney, Mm -hmm. you can't get the decision to make a John Favreau in charge of the Marvel universe or the star Wars universe. Right, because I think you should be in charge of both. Why can't you? I don't understand. Well, maybe, maybe. Well, I'm just saying, there's nobody that works above him at Disney that would make that hire. As obvious as a hire it might be, yeah. okay, that's not that. You know, that's first of all, he's a white guy. They don't want that. Um, the white guys that are currently at Disney are all for keeping their jobs, but when new jobs open up, they're not for hiring any more white guys. Right. Um, which is actually, I tell you what, it's interesting. Um. That's not just Disney. That's corporate America. Do you know? And I can't remember where I saw this stat, but it was it was a um, it wasn't like a fringe place where I saw it. Since I guess it was June, only six percent of all corporate hires in America have been white males. That's like, straight that's up blatant discrimination. Blow your mind, kind of number, isn't it? And the thing is, oh my goodness! I mean, really, you know, and, and part of me thinks it's a, that's actually a good thing, because the effect of that will be that it will force. Um, I mean, and I'm not going to say like white guys are all the talent in the world. That's not true, but I mean, you're talking about a yeah. But if you're you're saying corporate wide, then you're talking engineers. Yeah, and statistically speaking. The average man, average man is better than 90% of women. In engineering, in, yeah. In engineering specifically. Well, I mean, so, you know, and it's it's all kinds of things where you generally are going to get really good performance out of white guys. Right. And if you're denying yourself that resource of talent, what's going to happen is these guys all go to work for small and mid-sized companies. And over themselves. time, those companies kick the ass Mm-hmm. of woke corporate America because they've all of a sudden got, you know, access to this great talent base that these idiots at whatever Gillette or Coca-Cola or friggin' Target or wherever 
have completely wasted. I actually think it's a good thing because, you know, and we we talked about like we need a forest fire to blow through all this underbrush, both mm -hmm. in our economy and in our culture and in our politics and all this kind of stuff. So things that bring on the forest fire, I think, are good. And that's well, something me... that really will. But getting back to Disney, um, like you don't have people in charge of Disney who have any talent at all. And they all have to go. Mm -hmm. um, and the only way you're going to get that kind of mass firing and replacement is with an entirely new management career that comes mm -hmm. in. And the only way you really get that is hostile takeover. Sony needs to take them over. Are gonna do it. Sony um, needs to take them over. Sony's not politically correct. The, the, any good property that has been recent, like the you know, the Spider-Man where they, stuff. Yeah. where they were like pro-American it's because they're Japanese. So they don't have to, you know, um, yeah. you know, do all the kiss ass stuff. Can I just go back to your point for a minute about the white yeah, man, dude? One of the things that um, Jewish people have always done has, have been to be uh, because of, they can't work on the Sabbath, whatever, small business owners, people running their own in charge thing, of their own time. Yeah. In charge of their own time. And so if, if white guys find themselves, you know, running, walking into this buzzsaw, which they are, I'm hoping that they do something similar, which is their own individual startups, you know, like Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, when they came into the movie movies, they couldn't get roles. They couldn't get movies. So they wrote their own. Yep. Hopefully we have new studios and we have new things. Dallas Jenkins has created a flipping empire and he's done it completely outside the studio system. Yep. And this is what's going to have to happen to disrupt things because this has got yep. to stop. It is just, ah, oh, it makes me crazy. The best person for the job should get the job period. End of story. I don't care if you're male, female, whatever, but to ignore, you know, 40% of the, you know, work population base, which is, you know, white males is insane. And it's probably more than that because there's a fair number of women who are outside the workforce having kids coming in and out. And so we'll only work part-time. And so they really shouldn't be included in the full-time, you know, stats. And so you're purposely doing this to men. It's, oh, it makes me crazy. Um, makes me crazy. And it is disturbing to um the economy and it's going to be a problem long term anyway okay now we've got a new topic that we can talk about which is i guess not actually new but there are new developments and is more specifically um which basically is that the israelis are in the process of finishing the israel gaza war or at least that's what it sounds like um they've basically routed hamas out of pretty much all of their little strongholds in Gaza. Um, and it's sort of every man for himself with the Hamas people. And of course, that leads to universal demands for a ceasefire rather than allowing the Israelis to finish this thing up. And of course, there's a hospital in Gaza that Hamas has built a headquarters complex in the basement of, mm -hmm. which, by the way, is a war crime. That's a war crime. OK, when you when you cite military headquarters facilities and other, um, you know, defense uh, installations in populated areas or civilian areas, as in the basement of a hospital that is designed to create the, a maximum of civilian casualties 
when hostilities began. And Hamas has done precisely that. So now we have this big sort of moral conundrum over whether the Israelis who have this place surrounded, um, you know, go in guns blazing and finish the job and whose fault it is when people get killed as a result. Um, so, Melissa, let me open it up to you and let you pontificate on that for a bit. And then I'll, you know, add what thoughts of mine are. This is not even morally murky to me. This is not even a question. The, 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 the perpetrator here in this case is Hamas. They are the ones who are wrong. The people who are in the hospital and, and, um, I don't know if they have evacuated. One of the things that's happening is Hamas is not letting people evacuate, not letting people escape, shooting people in the back and using them as shields. And so these folks are, you know, straight up evil. And, you know, at the risk, the the risk that you have is kind of what happened um, in Waco, right? Where you have an entrenched population you've got a lot of innocent people potentially and in our in the case here in america it was clearly wrong what go the government going in like they did all they had to do is just wait they could have just sat there and waited i don't know what the situation is in uh gaza like i don't know if all the tunnels underneath the hospital are blocked off and the you know they can get to the the fighters from underneath the city and have choked them off under, you know, so there's no escape routes. I don't know. Um, If that's the case, uh, you know, does anything need to even happen in the hospital? I don't, I don't know. Is the hospital booby trapped? You know, is this a big, huge suicide bomb waiting to go off? You know, it's a, this is a dangerous kind of situation for all involved. Um, But I, it's, it's got to end. It's got to stop. And Hamas has to be ended. So like, as far as I'm concerned, this is war. And I saw today before we came on the podcast that the IDF had put out a tweet saying, basically, we have given the requisite 48 hours or whatever it is under international law. Um, This is being, you know, this place is being used as a military installation. We are now free under international law to go in there. Basically, we're warning you, uh, surrender now is what they told Hamas. Surrender now, or else you're all going to die. And so it seems like kind of a foregone conclusion what's going to happen. If I were Israel, I would not be listening to the Biden administration. I wouldn't li- be listening to anybody at all except for their own objectives at this point. Because, right. and I read something else, and I don't know if this is true or not, that, but that Hamas kind of jumped the gun. That, that, um, Iran with Hezbollah and, uh, you know, because it's not really clear in the news, but Israel's fighting a multi-front war. They're getting, they're getting shelled and they're getting um, rockets from all directions because Hezbollah has joined in the fight. And that one of the reasons why this kind of uh, hasn't gone well for Hamas and, and why Iran is kind of disavowing everything is because their plan didn't come to fruition because Hamas jumped the gun. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I guess there was quite a sophisticated plan to go in and take over Israel by Iran and um, their um, various uh, extensions of 
you know, within Hezbollah and other uh, leadership uh, around the Middle East trying to go into Israel. So, but that got thwarted because Hamas was impatient, I guess. I don't know if that, you know, I don't know if any of that is true or not. Um, but the idea of Biden giving um, Iran billions of dollars, I, I mean, to fund more terrorism, I, I, um, I don't know. This administration is insane, absolutely insane. So I hope yep. that I hope that Israel keeps going. So, so to me, morally, that question is clear. Like this is war, and um, Hamas is the one in the wrong. And now, will Hamas be the one blamed? No. I mean, right. the worldwide sentiment is against Israel. It's appalling to watch. I cannot believe it. Um, it, it, it it's the, but, you know, our youth are being propagandized by the Chinese through TikTok. That's where they're getting the majority of their information. And they're all ignorant and um, ignorant plus energy. It's a problem. So anyway, that's my two cents about that. So what are you, what are you thought your thoughts? Well, I mean, I you know, to me, if you're the Israelis, um, what you have to do is finish this war as fast as you can. Yeah, yeah. It can't drag out for months or you know, God forbid, years. Um, and it and it won't because militarily, you know, they've got all the resources they need to mop up Gaza and. You know, the, the real question then becomes, OK, but now that you've cleaned this place out, what are you going to do with it? Because it's going to have to be rebuilt and it's somebody's going to have to govern it. And you really can't leave it up to the Gazans to govern them, mm -hmm. uh, to govern themselves, because they're they're not capable. Um, and you can't give them a vote because they voted for Hamas. Right. <laughs> like, which means you're not qualified to self-govern. You suck at it and you failed. Right. So basically what this means is that the Israelis are going to have to um, dominate whatever entity is in charge of Gaza in the future. Um, if I'm an average Israeli, I'm not all that fired up about that idea because I don't want to spend my tax dollars taking care of idiots who want to kill me right well the thing is is don't you think though it's inevitable they're going to have to occupy the the land yeah no they absolutely are going to have to occupy it um mm -hmm. and you know this this is the thing from the standpoint of you didn't start the war but you went over and won the war okay mm -hmm. the victor must have some spoils of the war right so there must be territory which is you know currently gaza that then mm -hmm. becomes israeli Right. Because otherwise, if you right. give them back everything that you took, yeah. there's now an incentive for them to rebuild and start this same process again. Yeah. Particularly given all of the, you know, idiosyncrasies of uh of the the version of Islam these people believe and you know, mm -hmm. the the ethnic hatred that animates them more than anything else and all the rest of this stuff. Like you have to take something away from them. You have to do something to punish these people for having started that war in the first place which means settlements. Okay. I mean, that's what it means. Um, you know, but that's problematic because God knows what, you know, you go, oh, okay, we're going to, we're going to set up an Israeli settlement here. And it's like, yeah. And there's a maze of tunnels underneath it. So these people can come get you anytime they want. Well, so that, but, uh, like yeah, that's going to all have to, I, I mean, I kind of almost feel like this is like us when we were in Iraq, 
there no that's what it is that's absolutely gonna be that is what it is to occupy a arab country okay is that it's a mess it's Mm -hmm. a dysfunctional mess and the people who live there thrive on the dysfunction right because like they're what they consider as standard of living of living or quality of life is so totally opposed uh to what people who live in the west would consider you know Mm -hmm. quality of life it's it's not like they're not compatible um and it's you know and that's not intended as just like a slam on muslims because i think the people who are muslims who live in america generally speaking have rejected the shitty quality of life in the middle well, east obviously. Said, I, I mean yeah America i mean it's, it's- and the thing is is it's not a this is the difficulty right this is not a monolithic culture so like when when we you know muslims here in america make more on average are the highest wage earning population in america okay no it's and, it's a, well it, what it is main drain of that region that brings people here right okay and, yeah so it's you like, got, you know, it's like they, what they you know they used to talk about the irish right like all of the good ones came to america and what was left was you know kind of the people that didn't have enough gumption or intelligence to get the hell out of there right which I don't know that that was necessarily true of the Irish. I think it's pretty much definitely true in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, and mm-hmm. so, but, you know, you still have sort of the same sentiments that are in favor of, you know, the Palestinians or what have you, um, which, you know, it's interesting that this is actually negatively affecting team Biden. <laughs> because the Muslim Democrats are all making threats. You know, you have to disavow Israel completely. And of course, they can't do that. Um, but, you well, know, the thing is, is that they're, they're, you know, Team Biden's getting it two ways because the, the, the Muslim population is more socially conservative here, here in America and they're already ticked at the woke left. That's it. And so, you know, they, and you have to a, give them something. The problem is, is that the cost is so high to do so it. So high. And, yeah. the, and the other thing is, too, it's kind of interesting because the 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 right has been pretty uniformly pro-Israel, right? Mm-hmm. However, they're also pro-conservative values. So you have this strange situation where the Muslims are going, you know, we don't necessarily like this stance, but at least they're honest, right? Like they're not trying to play this hasty game. The you know the Jewish leftists who've always been delusional um, are continuing their delusion and saying, "See, uh, Joe Biden likes the Jewish people." Meanwhile, you know the State Department sending out mixed messages, Biden sending out mixed messages, and everybody's ticked off. Um, And this is where that kind of multi-culty thing goes, where you're all you're doing is pandering to interest groups instead of having any principles whatsoever. And and in the United States, so like I would say, and this is a so like there's a couple of issues. One, Islam has not had a reformation. There's no reformation. You you the people in America, the educated Muslim people in America who are not, you know, figuring, you know, spending every minute of their day figuring out how to kill Jews or or the, any infidels are not practicing Islam really as it's intended. OK, Correct. so if you're a true believer and you love the Quran and all that, 
um, your values are fundamentally at odds with Western American values. And so you've got these, like the Somali population in Minnesota, you've got a big chunk of the Palestinian population, like in Dearborn, Michigan, who their values and, and, and the lefties who help get these people elected have been shocked, shocked, I tell you, because they are, you know, voting against all of the woke baloney. And um, and they're like, but we we helped you get elected. We love brown people. you know. And right. it's like, well, these brown people don't value the same things you value, you idiots. So like, yeah. you know, the transgenders for Palestine are completely delusional and, yeah. and so like there's this mix and so what really needs to happen and this is politically incorrect to say is that that islam needs a reformation and not just in america but all around the world but i don't see it happening what we're seeing here both amongst the jews in america and the palestinians and the other muslims in america is a very tribal multicultural response it is not an American response. It is a tribal response. That is antithetical to what it means to be an yeah. American. Right. And this, I think, is a problem because we're seeing it like with La Raza in California. It was kind of a circumscribed problem in California. And we're seeing it. And this is what leftism spawns. A, a division and a divisiveness. America worked because we agreed a, around certain core values, but they were Christian values. Well, that's that's the thing, right? The only thing that unites all of these disparate groups on the left that when you have something like the Israel Gaza problem, mm -hmm. you know, but becomes you know pretty clear relief that everybody can see the contours mm -hmm. of it. But the only thing that unites all of these dis disparate groups on the left is a hatred of those common American values. Yep. Okay. And those of Western civilization in general. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, this is the reason why, you know, it's, it's queers for Palestine and it's like, okay, the Palestinians would throw the queers off the roof of the building. And mm -hmm. what, like, what, what, you don't even get that. it's like, well, what we get is they hate the West, just like we hate the West. Right. And, so much of this is like it's 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 hard to wrap your mind around because it's difficult to understand how people could be this dumb, right? Only could the alphabet people have the kind of um resources, power, acceptance, tolerance, whatever you know, whatever word you want to use. Mm -hmm. This is the only culture where that's possible, okay? Every and other right. We've talked yeah, about like, this before because, you know, the, what the Christian values are, are one of tolerance. We've talked about this, but the, but the thing is, and why is it tolerant? Well, because we all believe that each individual is sovereign before God. Correct. Okay. Well, that is not at all how you think when you're part of a tribe, because the yeah. tribal value trumps the individual. Mm-hmm. It's a specifically Christian thing. It's why we why there's individual freedom. So like all of these kind of agnostic tech bros who are like, you know, the transhumanists, the reason why they have the freedom, the individual freedom that they have is because they are in a Christian nation, nation, not because they're in a nation. I'm not saying that that the dominant culture traditionally has been a Christian one. 
Okay. I'm not even saying that we're a Christian nation now. I think we're a mess. And uh, but even still, the majority still consider themselves Christian. Right. And still generally subscribe to of say the golden rule or the 10th commandment right. or the 10 commandments um most americans are on board with that now how convicted we are along those lines is a matter for discussion okay but you know i mean and i would love to see somebody and maybe you have to define your terms and it, it doesn't lend the traditional kind of polling, but I would love to see the question polled. Hey, would you la rather live in Christian America or would, would you rather live in, you know, a uh, woke post-Christian America? I would love, I mean, I don't, I, people probably Joe on the street that you would ask that question doesn't really understand the contours of, of the question, but I would love to see, you know, like, okay, what is the public sentiment on this? Like, what what does the public believe? Would we, you know, would you rather live in an America that, um, you know, Jimmy Kimmel says is an intolerant, backwards place? Um, or would you rather live in, you know, a place where you're not allowed to say that Lena Dunham is fat? <laughs> right? Like, I mean, which one do you want? Because everybody's going to pick 1950s intolerant America. Like, everybody is. Right? Are they though? I mean, the thing is, well, with, not with everybody, young, but I mean, I think, two, I think two out of three would. Millennials okay. and younger are. I mean, I just saw this again. I was over in Austin. They don't have children. They have dogs. I saw a man holding a forty-pound dog like a baby, and I was like, I wanted to tell this couple, go home, have sex, and have a real child. What is yeah. wrong with you? Right. Okay, and so like. You, you know, you're this younger generation, if they said they don't even know what socialism is, but if they had a choice between socialism and capitalism, they'd say socialism. Yeah. The, 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 so I'm not sure we're in an America that for well, those of us who are Gen X and older would the younger people would say, oh, yes, we are for a non woke America. I don't well, know. Okay. Um, if your point of reference is, uh, 20-somethings and 30-somethings in Austin, Texas, then I think that's probably right. Um, yeah, but I that's think it, representative of, I think... Well, but it's not, a, okay? Your 20-somethings and 30-somethings in Tyler, age, Texas are going to be much different from Austin, Texas, much less, you know, what you would find in, um, I don't know, Hot Springs, Arkansas, or... Um, you know, whatever, Kalamazoo, Michigan. I mean, I, like, I think there are plenty of places in sort of flyover territory America where all of this kind of hipster crap that you see in the higher profile places, they don't know anything about that. Like that, that they look at that and it's like, that's not me. Now, they're on some of the same social apps and some of this kind of stuff, but. I don't know. You know. The polling is on my side, not yours. And I'll say this too. The um, just to make you more irritated, but the I don't know if it'll make you more irritated. The one thing where I think you might be right, though, is Gen Zers, um, their support for um, like gay marriage and that that whole thing has dropped. It's actually below um, or right at Gen yeah. X's level of acceptance now. 
and they yes. and it was super high and and so the younger people have really gotten uh this woke crap good and hard and are rejecting it and yeah. and it's kind of a joke laughed at but the millennials like the boomers you know and the millennials are the boomers kids are a pox on humanity i i don't know and so like and and the younger people too they all skew left economically and so like i'm not sure if they had that choice that they would go non well you okay you say that and yet these people are the most entrepreneurial in in the sense that they want to start businesses um generation ever in this country what, so gen z uh yes absolutely they are Hmm. Um, and that, that's even true, particularly of like the late millennials. They're very entrepreneurial people. What they are, okay, is they are anti-corporatist, which okay. by the way, every single conservative worth is salt in America ought right, to be anti-corporatist. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to get back and I'm going to plug the book a little bit because okay. one of the things that I talk about in Racism, Revenge, and Ruin, and I mean- you know, I say this over and over and over again, but it's like kind of the overarching thing of the book, which is all of this shit that's happened to America since 2007. It's mm -hmm. not the natural evolution of our society. Okay. It's not organic. No, it's no, driven. True. All right. And I get back to this dinner that, you know, it was in Ed Klein's book talks about um, Obama has this dinner with like the Michael Besh losses and Doris Kearns Goodwins. And he's got all these prominent left Historian. lefty historians and they're sitting at dinner and he starts talking about how, you know, the way you order a society is you get all the big players together, the, you know, the corporate bigwigs and the union guys and the government bureaucrats and you figure it out. And that's how you run a society, right? Which is a fascist corporatist economic model. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the model that FDR used during the New Deal, right. which was a complete disaster. If you if you have any interest in going back and like reading old case law, for example, there's a case called, it was, uh, I think it's the Schechter case. And this is like in the early 30s, right when they first came in with the New Deal, the Schechters were a um, uh, um, Hasidic uh Jewish uh chicken processing um mm -hmm. company. And so they they were processing chickens kosher. Well, mm -hmm. along comes the uh I guess it was the WPA or whatever it was. It wasn't the WPA, it was the 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 um the uh, the regulatory board that they put in place at the beginning of the New Deal that was running like everything and basically took all of the top players in every industry and said, hey, go write the regs to benefit yourselves at the expense of everybody else down the, you know, down the market share food chain. And so they wrote stuff that basically made processing chickens in a kosher fashion illegal under federal law. Right. So, you know, they basically put the Schecters out of business and they sued. And this case goes all the way to the Supreme Court. Um, but essentially, the like, like this, what, this is what Obama was for. Okay, and he was fabulously successful in reordering the economic life of America around corporate top-end control at the expense of small and mid-sized businesses. Um, and in every year that Obama was president, there were fewer businesses extant in America than the year before. For eight years, down and down and down. Um, and, and I don't know if that's still true 
uh, while Biden is president, obviously it, you know, business ownership exploded for the four years that Trump was president. Well, and then everything um, got killed with COVID. Then yeah, all the right. small businesses got killed. All in COVID. businesses got whacked by COVID. And I don't know what that's done to the curve during, but I, I think there's a lot more people starting businesses uh, under Biden than you would otherwise think. And partially that's due to inflation. Everybody's got a side hustle now right, right. to try to make ends meet. So it's, it's like different things going on. But the point is, it is harder now to, you can start a business, but to grow it to the point where it can then compete with the big boys in your, in your market, it's, it's harder now than ever. When it shouldn't be, it should be easier because you can utilize technology and all these different things, you know, mm -hmm. to sort of be a force multiplier to get your business going. But with what they've done to transportation and logistics and what like you have to use an Amazon or somebody like that to leverage your business because you can't build a distribution network. Right. From scratch. It's key. can't be done, whether it's insurance for your truckers, whether it's gas, whether it's you know, a state like California that just completely destroys anything having to do with transportation with the stupid regulations that they write. Like there are all of these, you know, minefields everywhere to try to grow a business. Anything involving land use, they've completely wrecked it. And so, um, you know, you have like this whole generation of uh, people. And I mean, you know, we talked earlier, like 6% of these jobs go to white guys. Right. So you're a, you know, you're a Gen Zer and you're coming out of college after the George Floyd mm -hmm. riot imbroglio pops open. And all of a sudden and you had great grades and you're qualified or whatever. No, no big corporate, corporate America, um, the corporate American entity is going to hire you. So you're in the small business game. And you know what? A lot of this, you know, you ask them about socialism versus capitalism, right? And all their lives, they've heard that capitalism is General Electric and mm. Ford Motor Company and, mm -hmm. you know, McDonald's and Gillette or whatever. You say, okay, that's capitalism. And these kids are not all that well educated on things like economic theory and so forth. So they really don't know what they're talking about. And when you tell them capitalism is Ford, Gillette, Bud Light, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Target, and they're like, well, I don't like any of that shit. Mm -hmm. Right. They may be they, they probably aren't even conservative. They don't even know what they are. All they know is, well, if that's capitalism, then screw that. Right. right? That none of that is any good. All yet, right. You want to start their own point. business. Yeah. What's that? You've made your point. Okay. I, I agree with you that that is something that's happening. You brought something up though that's interesting to me. Uh we're talking about California regulations. I'm just I'm taking a side, I'm taking a detour into California, Scott. So San Francisco got cleaned up this week. Oh, Miraculously, yeah. a miraculous yeah. cleanup. And um, yeah, the because the Chinese overlords were coming. Mm -hmm. And so all of this cleanup that couldn't happen for the business owners, couldn't happen to for the poor landlords who were there, couldn't happen for the people who lived there. The, the city has been literally emptied out and gutted, but for the drug addicts on the right. streets of San Francisco. And it took them mere weeks, like two weeks to clean all of the, this up and get them out. And um, simultaneously with this, 
property values in San Francisco have dropped precipitously. I was looking at some data. I can't remember it right now. But basically, um, all of these leases are coming up and no one's re-upping the leases. Right. And yeah, for so, commercial property, there's no question about it. Right. So, you know, who's going to buy all that property? And probably the Chinese. <laughs> probably. Sit on it. Or BlackRock and, and Vanguard and State Street. I mean, mm -hmm. that, that, that is who's taken advantage of the gutting of downtowns all over America mm -hmm. is, is major institutional capital mm -hmm. who can get these things for a song and can mm -hmm. afford to pay to maintain that stuff while they're sitting on it years right. on end. Mm -hmm. um, it's the same thing that's happening to rental property across America, small apartment complexes and things like that, where between property taxes and land use restrictions and the cost of construction to keep, you know, buildings maintained and things like that. You know, they're wiping out small, um, you know, small landlords and, you know, small and mid-sized property management um, uh, companies, developers, so forth. And it's all institutional capital coming in. 70% of the houses that are being sold right now, 70% are being bought cash by baby boomers. Mm-hmm. No one else, families, no one else can afford to buy homes right now. Right. And the property market is starting to crash yep. all over the country because it was super, super inflated. And so, you know, the economic numbers came out today. And um, if you don't have to live in a home or eat, the inflation numbers are, you know, doing great. Gas prices are dropping. Yay. Right. Can't eat gas though. And the reason right. gas prices are dropping is because the economy is slowing down. And, um, yeah. And so like, it's just, everybody's talking about, is it going to be a hard or soft landing? Um, well that assumes there's a landing, right? I mean, yeah. you know, like go, look, know. go look at some it, of these cities Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, there's not a landing. I mean, it's just straight up decline. Right. Right. I mean, you know, when 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 the place turns into, you know, Mad Max beyond Thunderdome, mm -hmm. um, you know, is that a landing or is that just the process of <laughs> civilizational uh, uh, coming apart? Because mm -hmm. you have so much of this and, and our economy is in such a kind of weird state where you know institutional capital is is taking over for what used to be a real economy um and of course again it gets back to obama and the model that this guy uh was pushing right he wanted money and power centered you know centralized um within the the orbit of people who were his pals mm -hmm. right and, you know, I mean, this gets back to the Soros's and some of these left wing foundations that are allied with with uh, with them and all of which is sort of the Barack Obama, um, you know, universe of of uh, of, you know, where politics meets economics meets culture. And and nobody's doing anything effective to break any of that up. And, you know, I keep hoping that, you know, when I guess like Mike Johnson finds his footing as Speaker of the House that you will actually get and he's got to get past the, the you know, the budget situation and all that before he can branch out into some of this. 
but this is something that needs to be addressed. There needs to be a massive uh, look at antitrust legislation and doing some things to reopen the economy so that regular folks can participate in it. Like you, you know, we, like you want to talk about the, these kids that answer these poll questions, whatever. It's because they haven't seen. I mean, we're talking 15 years now since Obama came in and did the auto bailouts and the bank bailouts and all this other kind of stuff. Like they haven't seen what capitalism actually looks like. And if, you know, other than maybe a brief window for three years when when Trump did some of what I think ultimately he'd have to do for the entire four years if he were to go back in. They haven't seen it. And when they do, I think it opens a bunch of eyes and you solve some of these sort of cultural problems that you have. Um, yeah. But I mean, uh, you know, this is one of the reasons like, you know, last the last podcast we had, we were kind of cautiously optimistic about, say, Daniel Cameron in Kentucky and some of these other elections. And none of it really went all that well, other than, you know, things, everything was fine in Mississippi, I guess. Um you know, and, and it's because the Republican Party is just not good enough. It's just not good enough. And I guess that that's a segue into the other thing that we really wanted to talk about today, which was, you know, like a day after we did our last podcast, there was this Republican debate down in Miami, which, you know, they're all saying, oh, Nikki Haley won the debate. But nobody really remembers anything Nikki Haley said other than she called Vivek Ramaswamy scum. Um, and then right after that, she said, we need to be more, uh, less judgmental. It's like you call a guy scum and then you say, well, let's be less judgmental. But one of the things that Ramaswamy did right at the very outset was he pinned that bad election on Ronna McDaniel and the RNC. You know, you did a bad job. We're losing elections. We're a party of losers. Thanks to you. You got to go. Um, and like to me, that is the number one problem that you have within the Republican Party is that you do not have the structure to win the block and tackle of elections. Um, and you don't even have the desire to build it, right? Like one of the things that comes out of the legislative elections in Virginia was that in the last days, and of course, you're talking razor, razor thin margins. I think at the end of the day, 50,000 votes separated Republican control of both houses from Democrat control of both houses. And the Biden campaign dumped a million dollars into the Democratic effort in those legislative races a week out. And so they go to Ronna McDaniel and they ask her about that. And she says, well, it's not the RNC's job to play in state elections. Not my job. Right. And your party is underachieving on a level that is almost unfathomable in American politics. How, you know, you could be losing elections to this gaggle of morons that cannot run anything successfully. And the entire country is up in arms about how poorly America is doing. And they won't vote for the opposition because you're that bad. And she's like, oh, but I'm for Trump. Right. She goes, oh, yeah, we'll vote. We'll we're for Trump, even if he gets, you know, indicted, convicted, what, like we're for Trump. And then because, you know, well, if you say nice things about Trump, say Trump will say nice things about you. Performance be damned. You know, and so like my thing is, I'm, I'm really glad that Ramaswamy uh, said what he said. 
you know, kudos to him, even if it means he's going to get called scum by, uh, you know, Karen, uh, two things over, uh, because I think the guy did an absolutely hellacious job of pointing out the problem. So that's my that's my um, little mini rant about Ron McDaniel and the RNC and how bad it sucks. Anyone who, though. OK, so no, nothing about the NRCC. And, uh, you know, well, here's the thing about all of these organizations. The, the well, the NRCC hasn't this 2023 cycle. We can't pin anything on that because no, they, no, that's no. not. Their I, I know. I just was scratching. Now the RSLC out. is another one. Okay, I mean that's actually who's supposed to run the uh, legislative races, right? Um, on behalf of the RNC, and I, I know a little something about the RSLC, and believe me, that's a freaking disaster. But that's well, something. Here, here, here's, what, here's what I was going to say about all of this. Years ago, I worked with the RNC put together a whole plan for those asshats, okay? And how that they could make a difference, actually. This is a perennial problem. For those of yep. you who are listening right here and are complete politics nerds, your salvation will never be at the RNC. It's a bunch of old people who know nothing about new technology. The problem on the left was the same. When Obama came in, one of the things that he did was... Um, with one of his minions, who's still an active person on the left, um, did Organizing for America, yep. built on the foundation of a ACORN. But you had all of these grassroots offices that were open 24-7, 365 every year. The RNC, the way it's structured, goes in and out of cycle. This is off cycle right now. Right. So they don't give a shit. They, yeah. you know, you'll see Ron McDaniel on TV, but literally, if you go over to the RNC, nothing is happening. And I mean, nothing. It's dead. It's understaffed. There's no one there. They're not really doing anything. They just don't care. Someone, and Trump has not shown himself to be up to this task, right. has to start an organization outside of and get funding for a grassroots um, campaign that can do the mail-in ballots, that can do ballot harvesting, that can uh, gather signatures, that can do all of this. You know, you have guys like Scott Pressler running around doing this kind of work and people are like, why isn't he being funded? Why aren't there people? Right. Well, because the GOP is a bunch of old people and they wanna give money to the standard things and right. Republicans are supposed to wait their turn and there's no disruption, whatever. And and Trump came in and thought that he had won when he took over the um, kind of the, the current structures. But the current structures are rickety, shitty uh, yeah. shacks. And right. so like, it's like, you know, Trump, you... And, you know, if there's any MAGA people out there who have access to Donald Trump, show him this. Yeah. You make big, beautiful buildings. You're great with real estate. Well, the infrastructure of the party is real estate. Build it from the ground up. Get good property everywhere in every city, in every rural area. Have people, You have volunteers out the yin-yang. Give them something to do and right. start building a structure outside of the party. 
I'll just tell you another thing about the RNC. So the RNC has a list of all these donors, right? Mm -hmm. They won't share their list with local races. So the local people have no idea who is a soft sell for support. So the RNC sits on that information where on the DNC side, they share all of it. They disseminate all of it. So the little local guys in Virginia who, you know, have 50 bucks to run against a, a, a Republican have all the, the power of the apparatus behind them. Right. And that is money. That's So you know who to knock on which doors to get support. So you, you can target people. None of that happens on the Republican side. They all sit on their um, data like they're freaking smog as if by you know, losing, not giving this information somehow that that helps themselves. It's the worst. The Republicans are the worst. And all of you old timey donors giving to the RNC, shame on you. Right. You are facilitating the problem. When anyone's tried to reform it, when somebody has come in and tried to get different vendors, for example, um, because they're all corrupt, they make money. You know, I had one, I had one um, big uh, um, consultant say to me, "He goes, I don't care. I get paid whether we win or lose." Yeah. When you have a bunch of people like that running your whole organization, you are never going to win because the people yeah. get paid no matter if they win, win or lose. So anyway, well, yeah, no, no, it's RFC. exactly right. And it's exactly right. Ronna McDaniel, she's just the latest in a long string of losers. Well, look, and I mean, um, it's like this. Uh, the Republicans are the Washington generals and the Democrats are the Harlem Globetrotters. And you never read about the Washington generals firing their head catch. Okay. When you don't have the expectations to a victory, you don't hold anybody accountable for not meeting those expectations. And that's how it goes. Um, you know, and like, this is the biggest push and, you know, everybody over there hates Ramaswamy, right? Because he's actually the one willing to call this stuff out. Right. Um, you know, and, and Trump is not part of the solution because he keeps backing her every time she runs for another term as the chief loser of the RNC. Um, this is, uh, this doesn't make sense to me. You know, she's Mitt Romney's brat. I mean, she wouldn't even have the job were that the Romney name. And well, she's, but you know, it's, it's like she can, because she can do the fundraising with all those old, uh, you know, crotchety donors. Yeah. Uh, and there's, you know, there's a, a profile of your typical Republican uh, donor. Okay. And, and, you know, I've run across this just trying to sell sponsorships for my website locally right like i mean you can you can see this pretty much everywhere you go your typical republican donor all right is a self-made multimillionaire okay who lives in a gated community on a golf course all right um uh engages in the seven habits of highly successful people all right which involves not watching much commercial tv not listening to top 40 radio not going to movies, okay? They, you know, they go to eat dinner at the club, right? I mean, which is a great life and, and you, you shouldn't criticize them for for living it. It's the life everybody wants, okay? But they're insulated 
they don't know anything about what regular American culture is turning into. Okay. And so they think, look, I mean, you know, I, I'm a self-made, you know, whatever. And this is a great country. And, it, you know, look at all it's done for me. All I want to do is buy politicians to keep it the way it is. Mm -hmm. All right. And so, you know, like, well, this is what I did. I gave, I maxed out my donation to whoever Republican that's running for Senate or governor or whatever. And I'm doing these things. And so, hey, it's all good. Right. And you come to them and you say, look, um, we need to do this initiative to fight in the culture. We need to do this other thing. Uh, we want to make a conservative movie. We want to do this. Then we're gonna, ah, I don't know anything about any of that. I don't know if any of that's going to make a profit. I'm not going to do any of this stuff. I just gave a donation to so-and-so who's running for Senate and I'm that I've done my thing. All right. And then one day, right. Whether they get carjacked or whatever it is. Okay. Like they have this epiphany and they realize that the culture that they've, you know, embedded themselves on, like has eroded underneath their feet. And on that day, what you would hope was they'd say, okay, now I understand what these guys have been talking to me about. So I'm in. And instead, what they say is, ah, ah, it's all over. It's just done. You know, like, I can't believe it, but this country is, we're, we're finished and whatever. And I, you know, I'm just going to go get a place on the beach and ride it out. And it's like, no, you should have been in the fight all along. And it's not over. But what you got to do is finally get engaged on the things, you know, like Breitbart said, politics is downstream from culture. And so there's such a thing as political culture, which is, backing these volunteer organizations the true the votes and the and you know those kinds of things or like the american spectator for example mm -hmm. okay like make sure that stuff has the money that uh you know the left's you know organizations trying to wreck america have and yet it's over their head right because at the end of the day like you know these guys know about their business they're not big thinkers right? They're, they're practical people. And the left is full of dreamers. You know, they're full of dreamers who inherited their money and don't mind pissing it away because they don't have any kids, you know? Um, and so it's easier to destroy a society than it is to build or maintain it. And the left is all about destroying society. They have made a fundamental value judgment that everything about America is racist and sexist and homophobic and whatever. And we're going to start up a whole new society on the, on the, the over the ruins of this current one. And this is the ruination process. Right. Well, and so be, they, they don't say it's tribal. They don't say it's like division of, amongst the genders or whatever. Basically they say it's, it's going to be groups. Groups will finally have the power. And they don't really think through what that means. Right. You know, when you end up with this kind of, it's, it won't be the rule of law. It won't be a colorblind society. It won't be, it won't be, um, you know, blind justice. It will be a, a society built about around power, who has the power and who can force their enemies to submit. Right. And right now, because everything is being politically jammed down everybody's throats, we haven't actually gotten into a literal fight, you know, to see who's actually stronger. And but but that's the next step to this kind of tribal um, uh, balkanization that's happening within America. And yeah. uh, and 
you know, it's, and then you're divided amongst peoples who have no common um, belief system, except for that power is the ultimate thing. And so you have crime rings running around. Why? Because power is what matters. And in a group, you can take what you want because you have the power because you're physically stronger. Women become chattel. There's no equal rights for women. By the way, all you idiot liberal women, that's what happens in this kind of a situation. Might makes right. And I don't know if you've checked or not. You can watch uh, Brie Larson run around and pretend that she's, you know, savior of the universe. But in the well, real don't world, watch it, which is actually the case, which is actually nobody went to go see the movie. No. So what actually happens is exactly what's happening, which is might makes right. So that means you're the weak one. So you will be submitting to whatever warlord happens to win. That is where this yep. goes. And so right. and then it'll be tribe against tribe. And you'll have, you know, gang against gang. And who? Uh, is stronger and you better hope that when you become somebody's bitch that they're a nice overlord because that's how it goes well i mean look you have to have order to have freedom right without order you have chaos and you don't have free freedom and chaos what you have is license for the strong for this and you know what license for the strong is tyranny yes okay and these are the kinds of things that people don't understand when they know nothing about uh, how the world works. Um, and when they've lived sheltered lives, when they've never even been to, you know, Central America or someplace where uh, the kind of state of nature that these people are reducing America to exists. Mm-hmm. You know, but I guess, you know, these guys all want to live in a city and all the cities are reduced to that. So. You know, maybe there is an educational system in this country that functions after all, and we'll just see how much it teaches people. Um, But yeah, well, it'll we'll be in we'll end up like South Africa where, you know, you um, everybody's behind gates and you have armed guards and uh, you're you know, you get your vehicles outfitted with um, plating. So that, you know, when you're shot mm-hmm. at, because that's going to happen. Bulletproof glass. Yeah. Bulletproof glass. And the middle class is completely wiped out because they're rendered, you know, they're either killed or, um, um, you know, made poor. And then they become part of the roving bands. It's yep. Mad Max. And, um, and then the people who run and actually make the society function either flee or... Um, are behind um you know armor uh if they even can make it and stay and the thing is what people don't understand you know i live here in texas do you know how many expats are in my community from mexico because their families are constantly being um kidnapped for ransom you know how many patients i had in my office who'd been raped when when they were kidnapped and then they were ransomed this is men and women, by the way. And so their families get moved to America. But where do you go in America when we become that this tribal, lawless uh, entity? Where do you go? You go into Canada? You running yeah, into the arms in of uh, Trudeau? I can promise you that, that you're not going to find relief there. There's nowhere to go. 
So yeah. we either save Western civilization in America and become a unified nation again, or we fall divided. And we fall in a big way because we're a violent, violent people. This is the thing that people don't understand. You know, in Mexico and some, some other places, the uh, average person is going to just try to get by. In America, the average person is a violent person. They came to America to escape something. The, the, that ancestry runs in their blood. And we killed each other more than we've killed anybody else when we've been at war. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that uh, Americans really understand that either. Right. So, you know, we pulled the best and the brightest here into America. That also makes us the best killers, too. Yeah, so no, I mean, this is a this is an entire society built on strivers. Mm -hmm. And one, I mean, you know, like, okay, so you compete in business and you compete in all that, but Americans compete. Mm -hmm. Okay. And when you're competing over basic resources, that competition is not a chess game. Okay. Yeah. That competition is not a negotiation. That competition is, mm -hmm. you know, um, it's, it's true dog eat dog. And, you know, like, that's a good thing. And in, in the main, I think it's a good thing. Um, but what it's it basically is It's a good thing as long mean, as you have the rule of law and there's restraints on it. Well, you well, but the point is, is that like this country's not going to devolve into chaos for long. Okay. It'll, I mean, it'll get chaotic, but there will be order come out of chaos. What that looks like is, mm -hmm. you know, undetermined. Okay. Um, and my guess is it will probably be, uh, and you know, like Kurt Schlichter talks about this in, in some of his books and he and I have had this conversation. Yeah. And it's a really good one. It basically his, you know, his sense is, yeah, this thing is going to devolve into something awful, but what's ultimately going to come out of it is sort of, you know, red state America is going to win out because, at the end of the day, red state America is the people with the guns and the people with a lot more skill. And when they finally get motivated about political power and governance, then they will take over. But it might not quite look like the America that, you know, everybody was fired up about in the 80s and 90s, let's say. Um, it may look a lot more like the America of the 1880s. Maybe. Okay. Um, that's a, that's an optimistic view. And well, I mean, it's kind of optimistic, but on the other hand, I mean, like the 1880s was, a, that was, I mean, that was a time when you had in particularly like in the Western States or whatever, I mean, you basically had warlords. You had people that were absolutely 100% ruthless and they had economic interests and they had political interests and they would do everything possible to defend them. Um, and, you know, that's kind of that's what a society that's that's building the rule of law out of chaos looks like is there's, you know, there's basic rule of law, but there's a guy who runs things and that guy gets to be a little bit above the law and everybody else is, you know, I mean, it's a two tier justice system. Um, we have that now. OK, but nobody likes the people that take advantage. Back in the 1880s, there were plenty of people that liked the folks that took advantage, which is not to say that it was any better, but, you know, so I, like, 
and that's who knows maybe that's 20 years down the road maybe it's 30 years down the road when there's the a chaos good book. starts there's i don't know but it's about... pretty obvious okay i mean yeah. the the you know the, the undergrowth in the forest has choked off the trees and it isn't raining it's a matter of time before that forest fire starts and so the question is you know uh which way is the wind going to blow and how's this going to work out you know but are you going to be able to do this without having the fire now because somebody should have been bulldozing that that undergrowth out of that forest or setting up controlled burns and nobody has no and they they have i mean you have got an absolute uh tinderbox all over the country in every aspect of our society uh and none of it can work and and you know this should have been fixed um but you've got one side of the political fence that's all about the tinderbox okay um and then the other side just doesn't even want to address the situation you know and that's and then you know like you see that in foreign policy you see it in economics you see it in education you see it in culture you see it in local politics you see it in statewide politics in so many places you certainly see it in congress um you know you see it in law enforcement i mean everywhere you go you see institutions corrupted um you see obvious solutions that nobody has the stones to put in place um and you see a populace that is losing faith in anyone's ability to fix anything of significance and so that's why you're it's 68 to 25 wrong track right track in in the real clear uh politics average of those people it's that's insane 68 to 25 wrong track i want to know who the 25 are who think it's on the right track i base mean what, democrats i mean i guess i mean no, it's, it's base like, democrats where are you, you know? living that you think everything is going great i just don't get it and th to your point about it being 1880s there's a book that's kind of semi-autobiographical or not auto semi-biographical about um kind of the Rough Riders or whatever. It's it's an old book called The Virginian. It's mm -hmm. worth reading because it talks about kind of the justice system that existed out in the Old West um, mm -hmm. and what they did. So like one of the things that happened is they uh, this guy uh, stealing horses was about the worst crime that you could do. Ske stealing cows or calves or something. was Rus Rustling cattle was... Rustling cattle. You better be okay. tough, rustle somebody's cattle because they it was, it was bad. Back. But if you, but horse thieving was a hanging offense immediately. And so this, so the guy who's kind of like Teddy Roosevelt's character, um, they catch a friend of his who had stolen horses, and I mean he got hung, yeah. And they hung him, and his friends hung him because he knew better, and you just didn't put up with it, mm -hmm. and so like. You know, the looters that are running amok right now and the rapists and the murderers and everything, 25,000 uh, unprosecuted crimes. What was it Kim uh, Reynolds or whatever her name is in Missouri who just did not prosecute anybody? Um, they, that, that study came out. They, they'd be dealt with. Mm -hmm. It would be dealt with. And it wouldn't be dealt with with a jury trial or with a whatever. It would just be dealt with. Yeah. And... Um, so that's a future that I'm not sure that Americans really want, but maybe they do. I don't know, because we're certainly on track to, to well, it's the it. future you're going to get. Right. Right. Because at the end of the day, when nobody thinks that the cops will actually do anything to anyone, 
in the neighborhood um, and somebody kills your little brother, all right, and you know that they're not going to go to jail for it, or if they do, they're in jail for 90 days and then they come out, um, then your response is, is that you're going to go kill them. And so you end up with family vendettas and you end up with gang warfare and you end up with all of those things. Um, and okay, fine. That's what's going on in the hood. And then they carjack your grandma and she dies because they drag her from the car. Um, and then nothing happens because, oh, it's a bunch of 17 year olds. And so they go to juvie and they're out when they're 21 and they won't, you know, they won't prosecute them as adults. So four years later, these kids get out and now you got suburban people who are harboring freaking murder and in their hearts for four years. And what happens when that, and I'm, I'm kind of referencing a case that happened in New Orleans. Okay. And what happens when these kids get out? Right. And they remember these kids laughing and joking in the courtroom when they're up for murder. All right. So what happens when they get out and somebody who, you know, lost his grandma, right. And is having a tough life in his own regard right? Lives in the suburbs, whatever. These kids come out, he knows. What's he going to do? Maybe he takes a gun and maybe he goes and gets his own kind of justice. And what happens then? Maybe the lady that got carjacked is white and the carjackers were black. And now the carjackers get shot by a white guy. Okay. So now you have, now it's not just gangs. Now it is tribal warfare, right? And that's how it escalates. That's how it gets worse. You know, oh, we're and, already seeing that. I mean, look at what's oh, sure. happening with the, you know, the on college campuses where the little red shirts are running around after, uh, you know, seeking out Jewish people yeah. to harass them and beat the hell out of or maybe even kill in some cases. Well, it's and the thing of it is, is that um, we cede a monopoly on violence to the state for the express purpose of imposing the rule of law. Right. Okay. And when they refuse to use that mm -hmm. by taking people off the streets who challenge that monopoly on violence, mm -hmm. okay, then it's gone. And now you have lynch mobs. Now you have the mafia because honestly, I'm amazed in a place like San Francisco that you don't have a protection racket running where these guys come and they smash a car from the, through the front window of your place and then everybody comes in and loots it. All right. I'm shocked that you don't have, you know, the Mexican mob or whatever going around charging, you know, protection money. Like, believe me, they will never loot your store again. Well, right? I mean, I know that, you know, when I was out in the LA area, there um, was definitely, because the Mexicans and the blacks hate each other and the different gangs um, did run different blocks of the city. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, I remember a friend of mine was a like an apartment manager and there was all kinds of crime and stuff. And then the Mexican, you know, whatever, I can't remember what gang it was, came in, cleaned everything up. Everybody was safe. <laughs> and it was that kind of thing. And that's how the yeah. mafia, you know, it's the godfather, you know, who is like kind of a romanticized uh, representation of the mafia in New York. That didn't happen out of nothing. What right. happened was, is there was utter corruption on, amongst the government and the guys like him were imposing order. 
Well, and it wasn't just that. You didn't have enough of it, right? In, right. Uh, particularly late 19th century in all these big cities in America, you had very small police forces. Right. Right. And very like they didn't have a lot of resources to to actually, um, you know, police these areas. And mm -hmm. so the mob in all these places came up as, you know, citizens banding together to protect the neighborhood against criminals. Well, they were criminals themselves, but that's not how they saw themselves no. um, initially. And, you know, because there was no oversight of those guys, they actually became criminals. But the protect, you know, what's a protection racket is not that divorced from, you know, uh, private security that is hired by a collection of whether it's business owners or whatever. That's, you know, people who ran protection rackets would tell you that it was the other thing that they were actually doing. And it's not a bad thing. It's like, yeah, but when you burn the guy out, <laughs> who doesn't pay protection, right? Like it's, you cross the line. But the whole point is, um, you know, if, if you've got roving gangs of people who are going to loot everything in your store. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, and you know, you're corporate America and you're like, well, a certain amount of shrinkage we'll just deal with because we right. don't want the PR hit to actually impose any kind of security on this. You know, like you get to that sliding scale part where, you know, it doesn't really work that much anymore. And in all of these cities where the cops don't do anything and the criminals run the streets, um, you know, I think what we the, the choice that you get is either you accept some sort of private sector or vigilante type of, of security protocol, or you just pick up and leave. We're getting the pick up and leave instead of, you know, what really ought to be militias on every street corner. Batman. <laughs> well, I think that there's to some extent, um, and they've oversaturated the genre, but but to some extent, the superhero thing is sort of a reaction to, mm -hmm. um, you know, people who live in cities seeing just how awful everything actually is. Yeah, wishing that there yeah. was somebody who yeah. could, whether it's outside the law, but not, not outside of morality, could, you know, address these issues. Mm -hmm. Um you know, and you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm still binging the blacklist. Okay. Mm -hmm. And like, that's basically what the blacklist is. This guy's a, you know, James Spader plays the criminal who does all of these good works um, in very bloody and uh, unacceptable, uh, you know, mm -hmm. using bloody and unacceptable methods, but there's always a little bit of a moral, you know, um, uh, saving associated with it. Um, you know, and it's and of course, the government's utterly corrupt and and does some good, but not that much. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and like this has now become this this, you know, very embedded meme in our culture, which I guess always existed. But it's I think you find it everywhere in our culture now mm -hmm. is a complete just disregard and disrespect for the institutions that are supposed to promote the rule of law. People mm -hmm. don't believe in it. Right. They simply don't. And when you see things like Trump getting indicted and going on trial, this this unbelievable civil trial in New York, which hinges around the idea that, oh, you overvalued all of your properties in order to get loans 
from the biggest banks in the world, as though the biggest banks in the world don't do their own their own underwriting of collateral. Right. Right. Um, and this this judge who looks like a character from Men in Black. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I, this guy is it's like Halloween 365 days a year when this guy's around. And he's like the worst judge I've ever seen, other than mm-hmm. the, the judge in D.C. that's running Trump's uh, January 6th trial. I, I mean, and this whole thing is like the biggest farce. How can you not look at that and say, oh, the justice system is is hopelessly corrupted and, and useless at this point? Well, and then they're putting nonviolent um, J6ers J in solitary. There's one guy who's been in solitary for over 45, yeah. maybe 50 days now. That, that which is inhumane and they wouldn't do that to a murderer and they're doing it to a j6er yeah and, now they're doing it to j6ers and now with a week ago you know you've got they've got a manhunt on live tv locally because the, the, they came for this guy and he decided he didn't want to get caught and so they've got the helicopters with the cameras did and they ever like, find him camera. have they caught him yet I hope not. I don't know. I, hope, I just thought I it was amazing. Like, well, what did this guy did? He rob a bank? I mean, he's he, he was a murderer? Like, no, he's a January 6th protester that they finally identified and decided they're going to go get him. What? What the hell? Uh, yeah, yeah, years later, clearly, you know, what? I, I mean, it's just... I hope that guy made it down to Brazil and he's on I, the beach. I That's hope what so, I hope. too. I hope so, too. You know, I hope he's in Rio and I hope he's freaking, you know... I hope he's getting laid. That's what I hope. Good for him if he is. Good for him. Somehow, I don't know. But I mean, the thing is, it's like the freaking Keystone Cops. So maybe they finally met their match with somebody who is a survivalist or something. Exactly. Yeah, I'm I mean, it's, but it's it's ludicrous. So, like, well, what did this guy do that merits helicopters with cameras and, right. you know, feds in tanks and a SWAT team? It's like, well, he went into the Capitol. And how and, many of those pro Hamas right. idiots have you freaking uh, had a televised manhunt for? Right? Yeah. You know, they made a big thing out of the fact that Rashida Tlaib, who led that freaking hoot nanny, got censured. Oh my God, how horrible. Yeah. You know? I, the, the thing is that this mockery of justice and, and, you know, like, I don't know if you saw any of the video too of the guy who was. The, the FBI came in with SWAT and everything um, and arrested this guy in his house in front of his six children. And Is that Mark um, Halk we talking about? Yeah, I think that's his name. Yeah, the yeah, Catholic the, the, guy the, the, for the, the pro-life. The abortion protester guy who shoved a kid who was messing with his son out in front of an abortion. Right, who kept talking. Yeah. And, yeah, and the thing is, is that, and then they lost the case, but they were like going to put him in prison. Yeah. And so he said no. And he was found not guilty, but like, this is insane. Yeah, but you know that's a hundred thousand dollars in legal costs later, and I'm right. assuming that there's some you know legal defense fund that helped the guy out or whatever. And Nobody should go through that. Yeah. He is he's doing sidewalk counseling in front of an abortion place. One right. of these unhinged leftist a holes comes up and you know gets in his face, and he's going, go and then he gets in the his twelve year old son's face. Your father's a horrible person, and blah blah right. blah. And says, "Hey, you know." And he kind of shoves the guy, and the guy, of course, takes a dive. Mm-hmm. <gasps> you threw me down. Whatever. Calls the cops. The cops like, 
grow up and freaking goes away, right? Mm-hmm. Locals aren't going to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. But, oh, we have a freaking federal law that we can mm-hmm. prosecute this guy. So now he has to have a SWAT team. Why would you have faith in that justice system? Right. Why would you have faith in a in, in an institution which is governed and run by people who have that little sense of fair play and judgment? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, you know, a week ago, I think we brought it up, this this video that surfaced from these, you know, kind of Republican. Um, I don't know what you call them, electioneers, where they're passing out sample ballots. Right. And they mm-hmm. did they were doing it in Arlington uh, County in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is a pretty blue area or whatever. And this raging beta male in cargo shorts mm-hmm. uh, comes up and just absolutely lights into this kid on how horrible a person, whatever he is. And I kept thinking, when I'm watching that video, I kept thinking about Mark Houck. I'm like, you know what? This kid's going to get provoked. And the guy's in his face. He's doing a good job. He's recording him. Um, But if he decides, you know what? I'm taking the camera. I'm turning the camera off. And I'm going to freaking get in this guy's face the same way, right? Maybe shoves him, maybe slugs him, maybe does whatever, right? That kid, absolutely 100% gets put in jail yep okay and cargo shorts beta dude can do whatever he wants and nothing will happen to him nothing you know yep i don't know i don't know how like i don't know how much longer you sustain a society where um particularly in blue places like this is what happens because i can tell you you know regular folks aren't going to put up with it forever you know, and I keep saying it, America hasn't suffered enough, but at some point America will have suffered enough. Maybe. And I don't know what it's going to look like then. Yeah. Well, we'll see. All right. So everybody go buy uh, Scott's book. Racism, Revenge and Ruin. It's all Obama. Available November 21st. Um, you can pre-order it at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, and also at Calamo Press's website. Um, it's a fantastic book. I'm just going to tell you, it's a fantastic book. It's I, I can't take full credit for that. Harry Stein is my book editor and the guy is the best in the business. Um, and, you know, kind of uh, the, the work that Harry did on this thing. It's a phenomenal book. Cover is phenomenal. Um, actually, quick story before we go. So this past weekend, I'm in Chicago uh, because um, 560 AM, which is the iHeart station over there, mm-hmm. um, uh, I'm a, I'm a guest on Dan Prof's show in the morning. Dan Prof and Amy Jacobson have like the morning show on that station, and it's you know everybody listens to it. Um, and I'm there, you know, once a week, once every other week. You know, they get me to talk about national politics and things like that. So um, they have a thing they do every year called the Freedom Summit, which is basically just sort of a confab of all the listeners to the station, and they bring folks in and all this kind of stuff. They had like Janine Pirro and Rand Paul were mm-hmm. like the big speakers. And they had me on the media panel. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the uh, the folks at Calamo Press are like, look, we're not going to have books yet for you to go up there and, and you know, sign a book or whatever. But here's what here's what we're going to do. Uh, let's get a big foam poster board of uh, of the cover. And, you know, you can show it to everybody. OK, yeah, let's do that. Um, so, you know, I get this thing and I must have taken 50 pictures with people in front of this cover. And I mean, everybody that came was like, 
ooh, wow, look at that cover. And then, of course, the thing that really got to him is like, well, the title isn't subtle, <laughs> right? Well, like, can we see the cover? I mean, do you have an example? Absolutely, I do. Wow. So anyway, I had this giant poster board. Wow. Like three feet by four feet <laughs> with this. Um, and like all these people kept coming up and it's like, the title of your book is not subtle. <laughs> like it's like it's it's a it's a pretty on the nose title. Like yes, it is. Mm -hmm. So um, looks good, Scott. Yeah, really good. So yeah, I so, hope all of you who are listening, still watching with us, and I'm sure Kate's going to edit this creatively. But I hope you go out and buy this book, Racism, Revenge, and Ruin. It looks like a good stocking stuffer if you are, um, you know into images of satan um so <laughs> that red is pretty stark it's uh, like woo. Yeah. Uh, but anyway so that looks great when did yeah. we get a signed copy um well i have to have books okay so right. come i mean you have like the the e-version but uh the uh being november 21st i should have books all right and i will make sure that you get a copy and i'll Thank kate you. make sure that you get a copy as well Thank you. I cannot so. wait. So everybody go out and buy it. Um, and uh, thank you for listening today. Hopefully, um, I don't know how we ended up here. I think it is instructive to explain to people what happens, where tribalism leads, where all of this is leading. I, I don't, right. you know, the left is not known for their long-term thinking um and well know, they just think they just have a dream oh it's all going to be this way like you know they're like the right. most surprised people in russia at being lined up next to a ditch mm -hmm. to be shot by stalin's people like we're, well wait this is not the way wait, we were bolsheviks what happened like, when you build a society that's only basis for you know money power influence whatever is political power you right. get the people who are the most ruthless you don't get the smartest. You don't get the people who know how to do things. No. You don't get the people who have, you know, the kindest intentions. You get Joe Stalin. And what they don't understand is, you know, that you're going to reduce human beings to a state of nature when you act on philosophies that deny human nature. Yep. Um, and that's what we have now. That is what Barack Obama and his crowd have brought to America. And that's one of the reasons the book is like, timely and important and like mm -hmm. i'm passionate about the fact that people should read it yes is, you know we didn't get where we are by accident they drove us here and they they don't know what they're doing other than to achieve power and well, then uh, actually i think they do know what they're doing and well, they do know what they're doing scary. in terms of getting power but they don't know what to do with it yeah I at least not doing... to benefit people like they say they would Right. Well, certainly, but that's not the whole. That's not their point, anyway. I mean, no, it's no. not like the potentates around the World Economic Forum or the WHO or or any of these worldwide organizations are benevolent. They're they're, they're they exist because they want to impose what they believe is the solution for everyone. Right. If that means a vaccine mandate, if that means a vaccine card, if that means. Karen Hochul in New York wanting to um, have uh, um, everybody that they're they're looking at thought crime now on social media. If that means Taking Nikki Haley, away. Just, 
Nikki to, Haley know, denying just you, you know, uh, the ability to get on a plane and go on a trip somewhere. Right. All of, all of that stuff comes from a place of we're going to dominate people because we're so much smarter than everybody else that we can, you know, that we, we can govern them effectively. And they, you know, they don't even govern their own lives effectively. Right. So, um, you know, yeah. these people must be vigorously opposed, ridiculed at every at every stretch, cut down to size at all possible cost, um, you know, and I, hopefully our side will learn how to do that quickly, please. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. Go buy the book and we're out.